gathering in their in their literal tens uh, outside the front door of Natter Towers to, to gain. In fact, we had 60 viewers waiting um, before I pressed the go button. That's very exciting. Um, hello, everyone in the chat. Hello, particularly to um, one of tonight's guests. Uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt is in the chat. So <laughs> everyone, uh, Matt, I uh, hope you're recovering, Matt. Matt has been wiped out by some sort of um, plague of some kind, uh, but hopefully is recovering. So Joseph, J- Joe, has be- Joe has been left behind to pick up the pieces and, and deliver what is a substantial amount of content, everyone. <laughs> There's a lot there. We're gonna, we've got a lot of fun stuff to get through tonight because it's episode 178, How Do You Build a Modern Train Simulator Game? That was the cold open and... This is the inside of a class 158, which is the train I grew up with when I was a kid. Lots of, lots, lots of people grew up with steam trains. No, not me. 158 is what I grew up with. And this is the view outside of one. I think possibly sat in, in Manchester Victoria Station, which is, which is fun. With some very new OLE. For the OLE nerds out there, some very new, shiny-looking OLE um, uh, over the top. Anyway, I digress. Because in the background, waiting in the wings, in the, uh, having been ushered out of the green room and uh, with, with his pockets full of, of biscuits and free champagne which we don't deliver um is joseph roger joe is is has joined us joe is in the background waiting for us to begin the episode um tonight we're talking about how to build a modern train simulator and there's so much to get through i'm just going to get us moving everyone welcome to tonight's rail matter The InCity 225 fades away. Some people saying they're getting an audio echo. Hopefully not too much. Let me know if the sound is... I, I, are you getting an audio echo, Joe? Is it all right your end? I'm all good my end. Oh, Hi, good. Everyone. Okay. It might... It, yeah, hopefully. Well, anyway, in the chat can, can update me with that. Anyway, before we talk about Dovetail Games and what Dovetail Games is, or we are first going to ask... Who is Joseph Roger? Which we can do by uh, me pressing this button and saying, "Hello, Joe. Joe, hello. Welcome to Railnar. Um, a pleasure to have you." Hi, Gareth. Yeah. Hi, everyone. This is super exciting. Yeah, very glad to be here. Uh, Joe, firstly, um, I, I, we so the elephant in the room is that Matt was going to be joining us for this chat, um, and as we said, yeah, Matt has got some sort of plague, uh, but has very happily joined in the chat. So, so if you have questions for Matt, everyone, Matt's in the chat. Matt plays TV in the in the YouTube chat. You can you can ask Matt. But Joe, tell us what you do at, at Dovetail, um, and then we'll talk about what on earth Dovetail Games is. Um. Yeah. So uh, yeah, hi Matt as well. If you're in the chat, um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Joe Rogers, and as it says on the screen there, I'm the brand manager for Dovetail Games, or a brand manager for Dovetail Games. So I deal primarily with, uh, with Trains in World. I've worked at Dovetail Games for about three years, um, but I've actually worked in the railway hobby for almost a decade now. Um, I previously worked for a Heritage Railway, and then before that, I worked for a railway modelling company. So I know trains pretty well. Um, but my day-to-day job basically involves brand managing trains in world. So that's, you know, a lot of marketing stuff, a lot of communications, um, some of the articles that some of our fans read on Dovetail Live, they'll have been written by me um, about some of our, some of the content that we release, like add-ons and also the, the, the core games as well. Um, yeah, so uh, it, there's a lot involved, but uh, it's all good fun. And 
I, I like everyone at Dovetail Games, loves trains. So that's the important thing, really. That's always so. It's, so it, tonight is indeed a good one for train fans. So let's 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 return um, to the, to the slide deck and and ask the obvious the obvious question, which is uh, tell us a bit about Dovetail Games. Let, let's start. Off. Uh, this for everyone watching. This isn't going to be a sales pitch. This is this is this is about train simulation, but it makes sense to ask. You know, I like context, and the context certainly is what is the developer that we're currently talking about. And and so tell us about Dovetail Games. Yeah, I mean, it's an important place to start because um, particularly people in the railway hobby, you know, if you're a, a keen modeler or maybe you're a volunteer on a heritage railway or something, video games might not be the immediate, you know, hobby that you go to. Um, whereas uh, there's a lot to there's a lot to gain from in the video games world when it comes to trains. So yeah, Dovetail Games, we started out way back in about 2009 um, under the name railsimulator.com limited. Uh, and we rebranded to Dovetail Games in 2013. Um, primarily, uh, the, the the main focus of a lot of that time has been what's now known as Train Simulator Classic. Originally, it was known as Railworks and then Train Simulator. Um, and then in more recent years, we developed a, a different uh, trains video game, which was Train Sim World. And we'll discuss a little bit about the difference between those two, I'm sure, at some point. Um, but we also do other stuff. Um, our tagline or, or our motto that we go by is by enthusiasts for enthusiasts. And that's because we're all enthusiasts in the company. And as you can see by the um, the number of titles we've got there, that's not just trains. Um, we do uh, digital board games. If you're a board games fan, you've probably, probably recognised Catan there. It's quite a popular board game. Um, and we also do fishing games as well. So again, that sort of hobbyist area, pastime, fishing, trains, although they're completely different, actually, they have quite strong communities, quite mm. strong followings, and we make video games based off of those, basically. Yeah, it's, it's that the, the sense of responsibility to a... a uh... An enthusiastic group of enthusiasts can uh, throws up a lot of challenges. I, c- I can imagine. Um, yeah. So that's Dovetail Games. But briefly, we'll come back. I mean, we'll, I'm sure through the through the episode, we'll pick up more on on kind of what 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 this, the, the the organization looks like and how it how it works. But first of all, I'm, so by the way, everyone, the peek behind the curtain. There is so much interesting content that we've been thrown to tell to, to show you all. So I've just put them at slide after slide relentlessly. We're going to drumbeat through these. Uh, Joe, you're going to guide through. So you have a, a pretty good idea, hopefully, of um, of what what uh, what stories to tell, what tale, you, what yarn you're going to weave uh, through through each image. So we start with a with a nice sort of um, publicity shot of of Train Sim Classic. Um, I suppose this is a chance for you to to sort of explain a bit about what they uh, what these what these games are, right? Yeah, exactly. And as I say, like the difference between Train Sim World and Train Simulator, Train Simulator Classic is quite an important one to make early on. So Train Simulator Classic, as I say, it's um, it's the game that really that we've, that we've been involved with for a long time since the, the company was first started. Um, and it's, I wouldn't say a legacy product, it's still very current and we're still releasing a lot of material for it. And we have a big community around Train Simulator Classic. Um, but it is distinctly different to Train Sim World. It's focused more on um, I suppose in a way, like almost like a virtual model railway, because there's so much content to to go at with Train Simulator Classic from you've got the like, core game and then there's loads of like third party add-ons made by our partner program developers, by individuals that have access to some of the development tools. Um, and with that comes a much more kind of tight-knit community similar to a model railway in a way in that you've got lots of different companies small and big making lots of different um, elements for it whether they be routes or locomotives or scenario packs liveries that kind of thing um, and it exists just on pc so it's steam steam only um, and with that as i say comes a, a more kind of centralized community around the the, the content that um, train simulator classic offers so it's um it's it's been updated over the years it's changed guys a number of times and train simulator classic is the current version of what many people will know as train simulator 
Um, but then we, as I say, kind of branched off into Train Sim World, which was which was a, a different thing altogether, and I'll explain why shortly. But it's the it's the it was for and is for for, for, for still a Dovetail Games the bread and butter of what we do, and the start really us building that trains community in the digital virtual format. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and here is here's a rather fetching uh, image. So, uh, yeah, you do, do do give me the classic sort of lecture next slide, please, and I, I shall I shall tell the graduate at the back to 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 adjust the slide machine. Um, so here's a, here's a rather nice, but this looks suspiciously like um, uh, like Hud- uh, is it Hud- Huddersfield? Uh... Yeah, and um, really, it's just to demonstrate the the kind of variety. I mean, obviously, all of this is British in this particular screenshot, but there's a lot of locomotives there and different liveries um, that offer different types of gameplay. So there's obviously passenger services, there's freight, there's shunting, um, and you know, there's I think there's over a thousand pieces of downloadable content you can get for Train Simulator Classic. So even if you're not into uh, British BR era, uh, as might be depicted there, uh, you know, you're into German German content or American content, steam, diesel, electric. There's something out there pretty much for everybody, um, and that's the advantage of Train Simulator Classic offers is that with this wide community, there's this constant stream of of new content coming. Um, as, as downloadable content, which is which is really exciting. So it's really just to explain a, a, a bit of the variety that Train Simulator Classic offers from a collector's point of view, almost. Yeah. Um, rather than Train Sim World. So yeah, we can we can flip straight to Train Sim World if you like. I think yes. Probably... Here we go. The shiny looking Train Sim World. Uh, this one. This here we have a, an IC being subject to the impacts of climate change here, which is fun. Uh, or actually, <laughs> that's snow, not flood. So originally I thought it was flooding, but actually no, it's snow. It's snow. It's through, going through a pile of snow, which is quite interesting. Tell us about Train Sim yeah. World then. What, what's what's the difference? So Train Sim World, um, first of all, it's not just on PC. So this is something available for PlayStation uh, and Xbox, the current consoles, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series SX, um, and as well as the, the PC platform, Steam and, and Epic Games. Um, and uh, it's it's a slightly more what I would call like a refined train simulator game. So um, the, the, the graphics make use of what's called the Unreal Engine, something that's much more detailed. Um, we can make use of like volumetric skies and lighting, and different weather elements, which are clearly depicted in the sort of key art that we've got there. Yeah. So you can do like changeable weather. It, it's dynamic. There's time of day changes in some of the routes. Um, so it's more akin or it uses features that maybe more conventional video gamers will be familiar with um, and puts the kind of trains franchise, if you like, in that more video game sphere um, rather than being a strict train simulator that's for that's for PC only, it's broadened out a little bit. And, and, and what we find is that um, people that aren't, in, aren't even interested in trains might pick up Trains in World, um, which is great because it introduces them to the wider hobby with modeling and, and heritage rail and photography and spotting and all those different kinds of things. Um, but it's slightly more accessible from, from yeah, the kind yeah. of gamer's point of view, which is cool. Yeah, well, definitely. And, and we've, you know, we've, we've had an episode recently on, on accessibility into the into railway enthusiasm and, and even transport enthusiasm. Um, Accessibility is good, and, and, and particularly when you've got classic in the background for people who then maybe want to dive into some of the, the you know perhaps want to pick up some of the kind of you know that that thousand, as you say thousands of, of bits of additional content. Um, yeah, it's 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 good. So uh, while I uh, yeah, we, move my mouse, let's hop into uh, there we are. There's another picture. Uh, Lee's on the line. Just, there we I are. mean, you know, just just to explain the sort of the, the core offering of Trains and World. So yeah, we do uh, you know lots of British content, uh, modern era, which is depicted there. I think the next slide shows a lovely steam train, hopefully. It does, yep. very so, nice. So uh, we do period content, and we'll come back to this because a lot of the development stuff we'll be talking about historic routes uh, in a moment, so that's 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 uh, worth keep, keeping in mind. Um, again, flick forward, I think we probably talk about... Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, so, training center, um, yeah, yeah. Training center, yeah, introducing people to trains. You know, not everyone knows how to drive a train. In fact, a lot of people don't. 
Um, and so we want to make sure that people are eased into uh, not just our video games, but also just trains generally in a way that's kind of um, acceptable and that they can get on board with, no pun intended. Um, and uh, the training center offers that. So it just gives you a bit of a, a bit of guidance, tutorials, that kind of thing. I mean, some people won't even know how signaling works. Um, you know, if they're, they're completely into new, new trains from, from scratch, um, you know, points, switches, um, that kind of thing. So Train to Mode offers that because we have that training center facility. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to say in the chat, um, uh, Steve, who came up with Ice Ice DB, uh, for the name for the uh, the that that cover image from Train Sim World, well done. You you win the episode. Very very good. I, I think it'll be difficult to top that. So that's Training Center. As you say, this is you know, it's, it's accessibility, which is really good because um, as this picture might hint, it's all quite complicated. <laughs> it can be quite complicated, right? Uh, that's, hence yeah. why hence why actual train drivers uh, are very uh, are rightly pretty well paid public servants because it's quite complicated to drive a train. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so uh, this just shows really, and again, this is slightly different to Train Simulator Classic, is it gives you like a first person view in that you can actually get up and walk around mm. like you would in a conventional video game. Um, so you know, you, you're sat in the position here, this is uh, an American uh, locomotive on Cajon Pass, I think. Um, and uh, you know you can press a press a button um, and you get up and walk around. You can use the doors. You can get out. You can you know switch the switches manually. Um, so it's a bit more immersive. You really feel like you're actually like a railway worker, an engineer, a driver, uh, what have you. And in fact, in one of our more recent routes we did, Glossop Line, you could actually be a guard for the first time as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so uh, you could uh, you know use the guard panel on a, on the class three two three um, and uh, check people's tickets and that kind of thing. So it's a specific feature just for that route. Um, but yeah, we, we try and put people in the kind of in that position, so they really feel like they're part of the process and part of the industry, really, in a way. Yeah, nice one. So, um, by the way, there's some great questions coming in the in the the chat, but uh, particularly uh, John Christoph, you just asked a really good question. Hold that, send me it later because I want to ask it later because it's a really good question. Uh, in the meantime, okay, so we have uh, the interior here. Um, right, so we're looking at this. Uh, let's see, I see a mouse. So this is the computer. This is Train Sim World, right? This is this is the landing page, right? That, that's right. And it's really just to represent that it's it is a video game. And you know, with video game development comes things like menus and UI and introducing uh, people to this in a very video game format, um, rather than something specific to a train or a railway audience. So like the menus and things, you know, all have to be developed um, by people that understand video games uh, not just trains um and that just really just that's just an example of, of some of the work that's done to yeah, do yeah. that but so we can we can we can move quickly on from that if, uh, if it's, a, it's, it's quite nice ui i like that um oh here we are it's a very fetching i mean these you, you have sent us some rather fetching glamour shots uh, for this it's very nice there's ebb's fleet with a javelin looking very fetching uh it's almost like a tom connell level uh bit of railway art there i'm sure you're familiar with tom connell's work actually has tom connell done stuff for train sim world have i dreamt that i think he might have He's... no yeah no, no, no he has yeah we've worked with tom connell he's a fantastic artist in fact we um we did some interviews and stuff with him as part of our we are rail fans thing we did it oh years nice ago. he's a fascinating guy and yeah. super enthusiastic uh, about trains um he designed the ews logo he did which thing. is one of the cool yeah the three beasties is one of the coolest things i didn't realize that and suddenly i, I, I found out and then he sent me the svg for it which was very nice and then i was like oh well uh, th this is the logo that all freight operations in the uk should have and under my you know future marvelous uh, nationalized system anyway uh, that's for, that's for another episode uh, so <laughs> javelin looking fetching with the lightning strike behind um but also yeah. as you say there's so that that and 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 also this rather fetching um i don't know anything about kettles everyone it's it's a beautiful steam train from the br era you know it's nice uh and again all it's all very fetching these are in-game shots right and it's they, they look very fetching not lovely lighting yeah. 
They are, and actually they're from quite early on um, in when sort of Train, Train Sim World 3 first came out. So this was to represent, in Train Sim World 3, we did a lot of updates to the lighting and the weather features, mm. uh, the reflections on the platform and that kind of thing, and these lovely sunset shots you can see. So it was really just to depict how things have moved on and things have developed, because we're always developing and improving these these games, both Train Simulator Classic and, and Train Sim World, with various new bits of content that we're bringing out. So um, that was just to represent that, really, what we did in, that, in, in, in Train Sim World 3 for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Um... Uh, here we're back at the training center again. Um, yeah, we've, we've spoken about that. We can move on. But again, it's just really a reminder that, um, you know, for people that are just completely new to trains and, and, and coming into this game fresh, we need to give them somewhere to start. And that's what training center offers with the Class 66. Yep, yep. Um, so here's an image of, uh, well, tell us what we're looking at here. This is... Uh... So this is quite interesting. So um, again, for those unfamiliar, we do add-ons uh, like we do for Train Simulator Classic in Train Sim World. So you buy the core game and then you buy the add-ons. Afterwards, this is uh, Birmingham Cross City. And what's really interesting about this is this is University Station. I was going to say the new um, University Station that has uh, that has I mean has I, I can't even been paying attention. Have they even opened the new one yet? Uh, it's uh, yeah, I, I can't remember. Yeah, I know, but it, it looks like this, and it, you know, it's one of Britain's most crowded stations. And here, here is the new version uh, being, having been released, having been worked up by uh, someone uh, quite impressively and quickly, given it only just opened. Or has oh, well, it yeah, opened I mean, this this actually came out in I think October last year, so mm. we actually managed to get this in the game before the station actually yes. finished. <laughs> yes, yeah, I can believe that. Uh, hell's yeah. Um, and uh, so then we jump forward. Okay, so this is this is master. Okay, tell us. This is a plug. This is a plug image. Go, go on, Joe. It, it, it is a plug, but we can move on. So basically, we're going to be talking a lot about Peak Forest Railway from the development. So yes. we're getting into the nitty gritty okay. stuff now. This is the stuff that um, I'm sure Matt will be scrutinizing my information on. That um, some of which he's provided, um, and uh, I've, I've actually learned quite a lot from Matt in, in the last few days, um, sort of reading up on a lot of this stuff. But we're going to be talking specifically about Peak Forest just because of um, the way we developed it and how it might be slightly different to some of the other routes that we've done. So we can yeah. quickly move on from the big. Yeah, for sure. Uh, shot, if you like, and talk about the route itself. And we're into maps, um, so already very happy. I, I, yeah, I've, I've, our faces are on. T- I'm briefly hide our faces so that people can see what the text says. But it's just says it's just the route map. It's just the Peak Forest Railway route map. Now, um, for for the eagle-eyed um, uh, uh, watchers and listeners, they'll be aware that, that this this isn't this isn't there anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's it's missing. It's gone. Which is a which is a different a, a different sort of challenge. When you've got lots of easy access to assets with a with a railway that exists, there's loads of things you can get hold of. Not so much yeah. for a miss, for a railway that doesn't exist, right? Which I guess is the challenge. Exactly. Yeah. So um, one of the things that uh, has been really clear about our development process for something like this, and we do historic routes and modern era routes, as I mentioned, this is probably at the extreme end of a historic route, as you say, in that it doesn't basically exist anymore. A significant portion of mm. it doesn't. So our developers have to basically become historians for the day, or they put a historian hat on and really delve into um, archive material, resources, photographs, books, um, r- railway books, uh, maps, mapping tools, that kind of thing, um, to really get an idea of where a railway once went. And of course, the advantage with this, so for people that don't know Peak Forest Railway, it's in Derbyshire, um, the real life route that is, uh, and um, a portion of it is still network rail. So I think yep. from Ambergate through to uh, Matlock, um, is East Midlands Railway Services, um, Matlock to um, Rowsley, I think it is, or, or um, Darlydale uh, is the Heritage, Heritage Railway. So uh, I don't know what we can refer to numbers, actually, probably. So one to six, yeah. I think, would be the, the, the network rail. And then further, six to eight, maybe, would be the heritage rail. 
Um, and then from eight onwards up to about 16, yep. that would be um, the Montsel Trail. So it's a cycle path, uh, walking route. Um, it's fantastic. I've walked it and some photographs will show you, I think, a little bit later on. But um, yeah, so that's it's gone. There's no track bed. There's no, the, the stations are there as buildings, but they're not there as stations. Um, and then towards the sort of northern end, I, I believe that's now freight only or possibly a diversionary route. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, there's most. a mix. Yeah, exactly. It's it's mostly quarry material going up and down there. It's uh, yeah, very much a heavy freight route. Um, and then and then it, but then the thing is, it then starts getting a bit more dense as you start approaching into you know uh, the the you know the, the area around Manchester actually and 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 the um, uh, yeah and, and things start getting busy again with suburban traffic and all sorts. Uh, in the current railway yeah but as you say so this route in game is set in i think 1962 mm. um so when the railway was complete and the cycle trail you know was, was um uh, not there um so yeah so there's a number of cha different challenges with that um that come with kind of learning how that route was understanding what the key features are in terms of buildings signal boxes stations what the stations look like i mean uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come on to it in a second but hassle stations now a cafe and obviously for the purposes of the in-game route we've got to look at it as a as a station um and what it was like and what the facilities were around it and how we can best represent that um in game so um as i mentioned the, the developers basically have to become historians and yeah. a lot of that can involve um importing things like terrain data like think from a very basic level actually What's really good is the, the terrain hasn't really changed. Yeah. You know, the, the hills and the fields and the, the, to a certain extent, maybe even like roads and infrastructure around it might not have changed a great deal. Um, so things like that we can actually still get from a lot of like current um, current data, um, like the topography of the land and that kind of thing. But as I mentioned, um, photography, um, any like uh, blueprints of things like buildings, so that we can really get an idea of what's important, what isn't. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. They're all things that we have to basically. Go and look at, and, and for some, you know, for some routes, it's a real challenge because some of that material might not be there. Some archive material might be mislabeled or hard to find, mm. or um, sometimes, in some cases, I'm sure, probably quite expensive to get access to. Um, and we do our best to basically try and source all the information we can from a lot of different, uh, a lot of different areas, just just to recreate the environment, um, basically. Uh, and and that was the, that was the challenge with this route, having to basically piece together what that route was. Back in back in 1962, from the information that's currently available today. So, so in terms of arch so so there's in terms of archive information, do you access, for example, the Network Rail archives for for like old station blueprints and things? Is that you know is is it you know is it you know are are the developers digging in that much? And Matt might throw in another answer if if, if you get, but Joe, yeah, like is because there is a huge range of archive information, right? So, are you getting access to you know old, obviously old mapping is quite easy to access, so you can get the old mapping off. Off the internet reasonably easily nowadays, but the but but yeah, things like you know Network Rail's records are publicly available, but it's quite challenging. You know, it's it, it, you know getting getting hold of them to get access is is yeah. So, it, what's the range of of, of materials that the, that the team are accessing? That's that's almost certainly a Matt question. Hopefully, he can answer that in the chat. <laughs> but um, what what I will say is is all those different areas will have different purposes and, and use probably from our point of view so um things like i mean i wouldn't know for example where to go looking to find out where the signals were mm. you know how, where, how the signaling worked on that route back in 62 and because even if you look at the stretch that still exists now um whether it's the matlock stretch or the or the, fre uh, the freight uh, the quarry stretch um that's going to be like vastly different to how it was back then the the the, the array of sidings and, and the way that the points work and maybe a whole line might have been taken out if it was double track for example 
Um, so I imagine I'm not answering your question, but what I am saying is that the different places we go to will have different purposes in mind to really try and piece together all that stuff that we need to know. Uh, hopefully in that time, Matt might have catched up an answer to What's, uh, the specific question of what we use. <laughs> part of the reason I ask is because it's interesting how many parallels there. All of a sudden, the number of parallels between um, the devs and me and my day job as a railway design engineer start building up because a lot of my time spe is spent building up archive data, building up you know, geomatic data, to topographical data, all this stuff. It's amazing how... So this part of my interest is is looking at the overlap between the, the, the devs who are doing this stuff with the intention of creating a, an enjoyable experience that's, that's true to real life, but but ultimately it's still a an entertainment product. It's still a, a, a product to, to be enjoyed. And I'm doing so much that's similar to that. They're doing so much work that engineers have to do to actually then... It, it's just that, that The reason I ask is because of those interesting overlaps. So let us, uh, let us jump forward from what is a fairly satisfying and interesting map to some imagery from the line, um, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so we can move quick, quite quickly through these, but it's just to give you an idea of, um, you know, obviously what the route looks like for those that are unfamiliar and the different features that we've got to model and the different things that we've got to consider when we're making the route. So you can see there, you know, we talked about topography and the fact that that doesn't change very much. And naturally, we can use that data to to basically recreate the, the hills and the, where the trees are and sort of how the cliffs fall and how steep they are and that kind of thing. And also things like gradients, because, you know, gradients are factored in, in you yeah. know, train simulation products. So um, we need to know when the train's going up and downhill and how that affects the movement and the physics and and the, and the challenge of gameplay because that's part of the that's yeah part of the yeah absolutely um, and equally with the piece of infrastructure so that lovely viaduct you know we need to make sure that that's that's well represented um, where 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 possible um, and getting things like blueprints I'm, I'm sure is where we'd start looking for things like that um, but yeah we can quickly move through these so um, yeah, sure. the next one uh, so we'll come on to locomotive a little bit later how we recreate the locomotives and what's required on, on that front but um, the four F LMS four F um, steam locomotive Fowler I think the nickname for it um or the official name for it um that's what's in this route and uh like the route everything has to be done in detail so this um slightly easier in a way because when it's um like a locomotive that's in preservation obviously we have real world examples yeah. to go and go and source from i think there's a two or three of these in preservation one one went to the west Sunset, i think um uh, a few years ago so um yeah so that's we have a kind of relevant material we can always go for for, for things like that um and i think uh that's you know very much the case with all the locomotives and we do we do research trips it's well documented that we do research trips out to um both current operators and, and heritage and pres preservation movements to get all this stuff photography noise and sounds audio that we need for for our content mm. uh, on the locomotive front which is which is great and we're always very very grateful when companies are really happy for us to go and nose around basically and get all that stuff ready for, for the game yeah yeah for sure um this is a lovely shot um you said it's the 60s so you know if it's the early, if it's 1962 did you say that that, that it's that it is the era so uh, it's not quite uh winter of 1963 64 you know deep snow uh but it's but it's you still get some nice very nice seasonality going on this is a, this is really lovely um with a uh well, it's, that's a nice 060 in, in the in the background, in, in kind of mid ground there, and all sorts of rolling stock, and there's there's oh, it's fab, it's lovely. This is the era. This is incidentally the era that my my Hornby uh, set is. Not that it's particularly extant, but uh, yeah, because it's it's a, it's a fun era between all sorts of different stock and diesels and all sorts. So it's very nice. Um, and then the mistiness. This is one of the things that Train Sim World is. I'm I'm picking up then is the difference. So having having not played Train Sim World, uh, but having having done a bit of dabbling in classic. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong on this. Train Sim World has more dynamic weather environment. Is that correct? So, so yes, so, yeah. 
Definitely. And, um, you know, you talked about like the era and the kind of, you know, the, the, the image with the snow and the, 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 the sort of um, winter of 1963 and that kind of thing. You know, we do try and recreate to a certain extent, like the feel of the era. So, you know, with this, it's like what we termed as like the twilight of the steam era. You know, 1962, things were very much being run down and kind of transitioning into that dieselization. Um, the steam locomotives were looking tired. Some of the stations would have been boarded up. Yeah. Um, there would have been, you know, overgrown parts of track, things that have been disused. And we, you know, we try and recreate that feeling in, in particularly some of these period routes yeah. um, where we can. And equally with the modern era stuff, we make it look shiny and new and exciting, just as it would for people that are traveling on, on, on a train for the first time. And it's just been introduced into traffic and that kind of thing. So in addition to like the actual practicalities of, um, you know, do the stations look right and is the locomotive accurate, you know, the feel actually and putting people back in that time, particularly for this kind of route is, is really important. And I'm glad you picked up on that in a way because it shows that, you know, the development team and the rest of the team are doing their job really well to recreate that. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, right. Uh, so this is the fun bit where you get to go, look, this it's the Montel Trail. It's a, it's some station infrastructure, but they've, they've, someone's stolen the tracks. Um, yeah. So talk to us about about what what was different and particularly interesting and unique about about the the kind of the peak uh kind of the peak forest railway uh given given the state of the infrastructure now yeah i just think i mean so one of the things that i really enjoy about trains in world is really getting to know a route that i know personally very well so the heritage railway i used to work for was the west somerset railway and that's a route in game and for me playing that route is is it brings me a lot of joy and it brings me a lot of feelings that some of the other routes don't not because they're not good but because i know it so well yeah and for people that know peak forest railway or they know the monsel trail or you know they might even remember back when it was running as a full-length railway as we've tried to recreate actually going back into the game and understanding that and appreciating it can be um a real source of, uh, of joy and entertainment for people if they know that route intimately well and so i always think looking back at the looking at the, the real life route whether it's existent or not is just really important to, to to get that appreciation and this so this is hassop station the one that's now a cafe and actually the previous shot it is hassop station in game um and a lot of people particularly you know i, I i'm not old yeah. enough uh, to remember when this was a running railway but just be able to see a steam train running through that station i know we have photographs and things but in a way that's kind of dynamic and moving and that you can interact yeah. with is is unique it's something we're doing that a lot of other, you know, unless it's a model railway, really, that's the only other way that you can yeah, yeah. recreate that. It's, it's so, really yeah. nice. Sorry, go on. Say no, it's, good to say. It's, it's really nice. It's just, it's just, it's, it, it is very, it's, it is very satisfying. It's funny you talk about the West Somerset because my my grandparents are up in North Devon, uh, or up down in North Devon, um, uh, and uh, and so we would pass. You know, my favourite way across to get to North Devon was not up the link road. It was to go via Bishop's Lydiard, you know, Taunton, Bishop's Lydiard, and and, and and across Exmoor. And so I would pass the West Somerset Railway pretty frequently. In fact, um, I had fun on the way back once when I gave Dina the chance to go and my wife a chance to go and stand on the footplate of the steam train at uh, in Bishop's Lydiard uh, in, in the cold, which was rather good fun. So yeah, it's it's a fantastic um, heritage railway, one of the longest in the UK. I strongly recommend. There we are. There's the West Somerset Railway plug, everyone. Um, but it is really fantastic. And, and um, going around the coast up to Minehead, it, it is lovely. I, I particularly like some of the kind of the big BR tender, uh, sorry, tenderless locos. They're really, they're quite lovely that run up and down the line. Very nice. Anyway, I digress. Point being, it's very nice. And that sense of the same reason why people enjoy Heritage Railways is because it's capturing that that moment that it's capturing. Yes, it's tapping into nostalgia that we all do. And nostalgia is an easy drug to consume. But but actually, it's, it's kind of more than it's tapping into a little bit more than that, I think, um, uh, particularly with simulation in that there's there's. Um, 
yeah, you, you, it's just grabbing that moment, that historic moment, and thinking about kind of some of the some of the the way it impacted on society around it as well. I, I love it. I could go off on one about it, but yeah, that's that's very lovely. So jumping forwards, here's another image of something uh, rather architecturally unique. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so this is Cromford Station. Um, so I, this again, so I, I went and walked the Montsell Trail a couple of years ago, um, took, took a load of photos. Um, and uh, yeah, Cromford Station is very unique. Um, the station is fantastic. Um, it's uh, it's on the route uh, in game. It's something that we've had to recreate. It's something, you know, you can't use kind of stock assets and stock kind of buildings and stations and things to recreate something as yep. unique as, as Cromford Station. So uh, when we're looking at, you know, recreating the key features along the route, something like this really has to stand out and it also has to look right. Um, because people will spot it straight away if it's if it's a landmark of that route. Yeah. Um, particularly in things like big cities, you know, then they need to be recreated in as accurate it's a bit as like, possible. Those remind me of the thing I used to do when I had when I had flight simulator ninety eight. And you'd fly around desperately hoping that your home your tiny hometown had been even slightly attempt like slightly realistically recreated. And I you know, I'd fly past it past it. It just, you know, there's like two houses and a and a and a, and a tree. It's like this is a this is a tech village of twelve thousand a town of twelve thousand people. What the hell? And there is that said like it is diff- particularly in pl- on railways. Uh, it kind of spurs me on to a question that, that that you might be able to answer, but also Matt in the chat. How do you get that balance right because obviously from a from a project management perspective and a resource management perspective you could spend a lot of money going to the nth degree and getting you know on in terms of the balance between uh generic or repeat assets and uh, developed specific assets that how do you get that balance right you know is there you know what's the approach to make sure that you get the balance right how do you understand where that tipping point is to ensure that the simulation feels familiar to people who know the route but but that you don't evaporate all of your development budget on the on, on the project i mean yeah again matt's probably gonna be, answer this, be able to answer this better than i can yeah, matt said it's tricky what, what it's matt's answer. It, <laughs> yeah. well yeah it is i think you know pointing out key features is the most important thing and you know what we have to bear in mind is that there are people that will be playing these routes that both know it in and out intimately very well and people that you know were playing this for the first time. Yeah. I mean, I, I I play you know quite a few of the American routes, but I've only been to America once and not to the place that's been featured in in any of our uh, in, in 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 any of our routes. Um, so I don't necessarily need that intimate knowledge to appreciate just how detailed and accurate the routes are because they look they they look great. Yeah, um, yeah. But I don't know that someone's house maybe doesn't have the right color roof or what have you. Whereas yeah. it's the so it's the key features really that we have to look at. Um, uh, but at the same time, we have to do our best to try and make sure that it's representative of um, the area, and no matter where it is. Um, yeah, Matt, and you're right. There, there are there are pros and cons, and there are things that we have to look at from a development point of view to make sure that we strike a balance there to please everybody if we can. Yeah, Matt. Just for the sake of the audio only listeners who don't have the benefit of, of reading the chat, everyone here live uh, can see that. Um, it's very. Uh, Matt says um, uh, it's very tricky to get the balance right. Uh, how much does it add? How important is it? How important are other things? Uh, what's the important bit? Is it the skyline impact? Is it the type of bricks used? The color of the buildings? Um, uh, usually stations need to be pretty spot on, but towns just need to look like towns. The church probably needs to look like the church. The skyline needs to be right. The bridges need to be roughly the right type, if not exactly the same. Actually, you touch on an interesting point, Matt, is it, like particularly on lines like this that have distinctive arch- station architecture because of who built it, that have also, uh, and this is an issue in the UK, is because so much stone is used, stone is a particular... Yeah, in a town that's all using the same stone, you, it's harder to use generic assets because if you've got a generic kind of blue brick house or you know brick houses, and actually all the stones are made out of sand, mason, you know, sandstone or mason, you know, masonry, that that's an easy way to throw 
the simulation. So I can imagine that that's where you make decisions, I suppose. Yeah. Um, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. This is the interesting stuff. These, these are some of the questions. How do you get that balance right? And so we jump from this picture to a, a fun one here. To, go on. To, to, to talk to <laughs> tell us what's going on on screen, Joe. Yeah, so if there's anyone in the chat watching, listening, that's a uh, Britpop child of the 90s like I am, uh, <laughs> you might know that Cromford Station was used on the seven-inch single vinyl cover of, um, uh, I can't even remember the song now, so some might say, by Oasis. Yeah. Um, and uh, in, you can't, you probably can't see it too in great detail there, but uh, Liam Gallagher is actually on the footprints there waving and Noel is pouring a watering can onto the track bed. Um, this was during a period, I believe, where the station was closed, I think, or not in use, or maybe only one platform is in use. I know, I think only one platform is in use now. Actually thinking about it, but um, yeah, so used just a bit of uh, pop culture really that I quite like because I'm a big Oasis fan. But yeah. um, if you know the area, you probably know that that's uh, that, that's that's what was that's what it was used for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Matt just adding add, adding a little bit of a addendum there, saying yes, we had to model new versions of identical structures just to change the bricks, etc. Uh, Birmingham route had orange bricks in it originally. We were corrected that it had to be blue. Yeah, absolutely, Staff- Stafford Stafford blue. Yeah, absolutely. So we see a picture of. The industrial hilly north. Uh, tell us what's going on in this picture. This is a real picture, not a simulated picture, for those who are, who are not particularly Hawkeye. Yeah, and the fact that we have to make that distinction is just a testament to how good a job the development <laughs> team do, I think. Um, but yeah, so real life picture, again, more about the topography, making sure that the feel and, the, uh, uh, and everything is right. Obviously, we have to take into account things like foliage. Um, there's a lot more trees and stuff there than there would have been when the railway was a first built and b kind of um, you know, back in the in the yep. early, early 60s or late 50s. So things like that we have to take into account. And yep. again, photographs become really important when it comes to that kind of thing because we'll see just how many trees there were there were or weren't there uh, in previous decades. Um, yeah. So, so I think the next couple of photos really just represent that. Yeah, give that feeling, and uh, it's 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 a pretty distinctive landscape, you know. Uh, but as you point out, a distinctive landscape now. As you say, there were a lot fewer trees in the 1960s to what you can see now, particularly around the railway, because they'd have all burned down if they were um, if the, if the, there was as much foliage around the railway as there is now. Um, right. Okay. Now we're getting into some juicy stuff. So here is a a, a rather grey looking, uh, me- detailed mesh, but uh, song textures of a thing. What is the thing, Joe? Tell us what we're looking at. So this is um, what, I, what I believe is a mesh-making max render of Buxton Midland Station. So Buxton is one of the, it's on the branch line, if you, um, if you can remember the map, uh, it was sort of the spur off onto the kind of left-hand side. Um, and this is basically where things start. So this is all done in a piece of software called 3ds Max, um, which uh, if you, in terms of 3D modeling, it might be something that you're aware of. Um, and we have to start from somewhere. And so our team start by basically making a gray box um, that's a, a broad representation of the of the station that we're trying to model. And um, the level of detail, yeah. So again, this is another question because as with any simulator, there's a challenge of balancing the number of polygons of what is, what's texture, what is modeled. And given the number of, you know, like uh, tech stained glass or, 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 sorry, glass paned windows, that becomes quickly your polygon count starts becoming a bit of a battle. So, uh, yeah, here's, here's a good example of where the, the, the designers, you know, the dev team have gone and the modelers have gone, you know what? No, stuff it. We're, 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 doing, we're doing the polygons for this window, uh, which is really nice. There's some lovely detail there. Exactly. And that all comes down to that balance that Matt was talking about. What are people going to be looking for mm. on this station? You know, if they if they know the station or they're aware of how detailed it was, this might be something that they're looking out for. So let's model it and let's do it accurately. Um, the, the process for the modelers is um, 
sort of akin in a way for those that aren't familiar with 3D modeling to a bit like sculpting with a mouse and a, and a keyboard, basically. So you start off with like a big block um, and then you kind of chip away at it and put in algorithms to create certain curves and, and, and angles and things and sort of sculpt it that way to result in something much more fleshed out and detailed than you originally had. Um, so yeah, it's a kind of like a, a it, it's a 3D virtual sculpting process really. And that's how we that's how we get to this initial stage, which is just a kind of gray facsimile of hopefully what we're trying to model in, in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For anyone who wants to see this, I mean, there's loads of different videos of people modeling architecture in game. But I mean, you know, uh, a cross plug to um, to uh, Justin Rosnack to Ros to do not eat some uh, Franklin episodes where you can see him modeling uh, assets for city skylines, and, and you can see how you start with a you use the symmetry, you have blueprints in the background. There's loads of stuff going on that allows you to create this architecture. You know, go from the the blueprints to something two D, uh, essentially to something three D, and uh, with with all the scales. It's it's really satisfying to watch actually when it's sped up, um, if a little trippy. Um, and then you go here. You end up with a, with a modelled asset with the textures brought in. Um, uh, and here it is. Very nice. Yeah. So um, textures are 2D, um, and this is um, ready to be sort of what we what we term baked down. So that's sort of uh, to do with it. I think with how the and Matt will probably correct me if I'm wrong here, but how the light interacts with the with the models. We have to in, include things like um, collision. Um, so that you know, like if you're playing in the game, you don't walk through this building; you yes. walk into it because it's a solid um, structure. And people that are into kind of the development of broader video games will know that there are occasions where you model something maybe that you can pass through, uh, maybe you make it invisible, or, or what have you. And again, there's technical terms here that I don't know of, but certainly someone who plays video games and where that there's tools that we use to make that world interactable in, in in a positive way or a negative way stopping you from going somewhere you know you don't want to be walking through a station wall but you do want to be walking you know down potentially onto the track bed so uh, making sure that you know the, yeah. the, the, the platforms are interactable and that kind of thing so yeah so this is kind of the next stage as you can see the the textures and the colors are included in to make the building more representative of, of what it should look like in real life um and yeah that's in, in, as part of that kind of baking down process to get it you know sort of fixed in the world if you like interacting with all the things around it yeah um and and then you can see here where the views oh, once you throw it there's the advantage of 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 the the improved overall simulation so so you know it, having having more advanced game engines that we have nowadays is that in the past when you had less advanced game engines you you couldn't get you had to bump up to get something looking good you had to put a lot of detail into the model Nowadays, yes, the models are detailed, but you can be a bit cleverer with what what you put in because the lighting is so much better simulated. So actually, you get a lot more. So you can see there's a lot more visual detail coming out of you know. So you can actually, in a way, you can win on, on some things in polygons in a way that you perhaps couldn't in the past because you uh, because the lighting. But then in the same breath, and I'm sure Matt will shout at me for this as well. Um, in other ways, the, because the simulator is better, because the simulation is better, you get more lighting. Um, it exposes things that that might previously have been clever tricks you could use. So I suppose the balance, it's not that you just make everything infinitely better. As you know, it's not that everything gets infinitely more detailed as the simulation as the simulation quality as the game engine gets better. But I suppose the balance of where you put detail perhaps has changed. Developers have had to change that uh, over time. Um, Anyway, some lovely images here, some lovely bullet rail. Um, obviously, that's the first thing my eye goes to. It's the track immediately, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, lovely lovely bit of station architecture, or, or, or rather um, uh, railway architecture, should I say, here. Um, and, and here it is in, in action, the building we were looking at momentarily. Here it is in action. with, uh, And here's a rate my buffers as well. I'd give that a probably a zero um as uh, there's absolutely no uh, no coupler interface for any trains approaching but uh, yeah that's, that's that's another story that's not that's not the devs fault um that's that's british rail's fault so um 
Very, it's, it's nice. It's good stuff. Right, okay. So here we're looking, jumping to something that is far more complicated. That was a building. That's reasonably straightforward and, and I suppose, crucially uh, static. This is less of a... This is a more complicated object we're currently looking at. Uh, Joe, tell us about this crane. Yeah, so just quickly, we'll go through uh, the screenshots and so show basically the same process for the station. So there's nothing new there in terms of what we're talking about. Just quickly going back to the to the lighting, mm. um, re really that's all a symptom of um, the Unreal Engine that we yeah, use. Yeah. So um, we use Unreal Engine 4 in, in Trains in World, um, a number of other video games. I think uh, there's a couple of um, like Gears of War, Final Fantasy, various iterations of those franchises that use the same game engine. Um, so, uh, and again, that's like that. that's really where we're talking more about the gaming world rather than the train world. That's yes. very much, you know, the the, 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 the gaming side of things that we need to work with um, and the lighting and the way that you talked about, you know, some of the things we have to consider when, when the th everything's so detailed is all a symptom really of us moving to that Unreal, 4, uh, Unreal Engine 4, um, which is very different to what Train Simulator Classic uses and where some of that disparity is between the lighting mm -hmm. and the weather and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, sorry, going back to the, um, the, the, the crane, which again is a detail that we have to include to going back to the conversation we had earlier about putting people in the era. Um, you know, these cranes wouldn't be there now, or if they were, they are, they're, they're kind of preserved and it's probably almost certainly not working. Um, but they would have been there then, um, as would have been goods platforms and sidings ready for, you know, milk, uh, milk cartons and all that kind of thing. So we have to, we have to try and model everything that we can. It's going to be representative of the era. And, and this crane is, is one of them. So as you flick through, it's, it's very yeah, much so, a process. So... We start off with that, that sort of, um, that gray model that has to be, um, sculpted like the, the station. And as you say, there's much more of a challenge with something as intricate and detailed Actually, as, as the crane. Um, and then we move on and we add the textures and we add the colors. Um, and uh, and then basically put it in the in the environment um, where it gets baked and then it interacts with everything and, and we've got the finished article. I'm only I'm only shifting around because I'm jumping. There we go because I want to uh, switch up the. There we go. Yes, I've just changed the order of the images so that I can do something slightly clever. That's why I'm bouncing around and 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 screwing things on the movies because I think if I do. You can sort of see the advance between the, the similar images, which is why I've just done what I've done. So you can see you go from uh, untextured mesh to textures and some lighting to in, in situ. Uh, you can see how it advances there. Uh, likewise with this view here, it's quite nice to see the detailing uh, and advancing through and then, and then a close-up with all the textures. Very nice. Yeah, thanks for doing that because that's really, I think that shows the process and, 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 and kind of how you go from one one in, in isolation within the within the program 3ds max to actually in the game yeah um really good way to demonstrate that so yeah thanks for nice that. um uh and, and again okay, another object a, a much loved object uh tim are you watching no hopefully hopefully not because you'd be getting very excited as, as we throw a signal box up again a very distinctive architectural feature of the line um uh, are the signal boxes you know um and so you, you see again uh you see the 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 untextured mesh uh, this is interesting though because there's bits. Tell, tell, tell us about the bits here. What's going on here? Yeah, so this is where we can be clever. Um, so mm. signal boxes are interesting because even though uh, many of the like main features, uh, the windows and the roofs and the heights and, and, and things might be of a standard design, particularly if it's of a particular railway or railway company, yeah. Um, actually, they're all they're all really different. They've got different numbers of uh, levers and frames. And um, I one of one of your 
podcast that I've listened to uh, in, in, in full is the one that you did with Danny Scroggins on Signaling. Mm. Danny's um, here, um, by the way. Hi, Danny, in the chat. Uh, hello, Danny. Oh, is he? Yeah, he was in the chat, <laughs> Hi, popped Danny. up momentarily. Yeah. Excellent. Well, um, so and I can, so I can appreciate just how different Signaling is across the, mm. the, the whole the whole um, network, as was then as and as is now. Um, and uh, we obviously appreciate that in the development team as well, because we have to try and model all these different sizes and models and variations of Signaling box. So the way that we do that is we create component parts. We split everything up. Um, and then we kind of piece them together, uh, like almost like a modular kind of. Well, I was going to say almost um, like how they did it in the real world, because this is how you know this was essentially modular construction. This is basically how they did it um, in you know they had a set of repeat sort of schematics that they could use and and, and create. So it's interesting that almost you're paralleling the way that the, these signal boxes were constructed at the time, which is quite interesting. Yeah, and, and that comes down to um, some of the things that Matt's mentioned in the chat, I'm sure, and that you talked about when it comes to resource and processing yeah. power and all that kind of thing, and making sure that we're using what we've got in an effective way. Actually, um, building signal boxes in this manner is a much more efficient use of our um, our, our facilities uh, and making sure that we can include more in the game because we're not taking it up by modeling, you know, 60 different types yes. of signal boxes yeah. or what yeah. have you. Um, so, yeah, so that's what this is representing. It's that modular approach to to building something like a signal box where there's just so many different vari- <laughs> variations of it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and here's here's uh, Darlydale signal box. Very nice, a little coal bunker next to it, next to a level crossing, uh, classic Midland Railway uh uh, sort of footbridge there. It's it's all very Midland Railway. It's very it's it's very nice. It's it's the challenge with the Midland Railways. They had a very particular architectural design language. So um yeah, it's it's to to not model it would be to not model the railway <laughs> essentially. So it's 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 but it's a fun task. I imagine it's a really nice fun task to pick to pick this stuff up and 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 get that look right. Um uh, my my P-way judgment's coming in. That fish plate needs uh, someone needs to come on with a P-way hammer and, and hammer it away from the uh from the uh, from the base plate there from the 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 bullet here uh so I, i'm failing the p-way inspection there and, and here is ambigate north junction a different signal box and, and this is i suppose these pictures to, to talk for you joe um are showing that this is this is a kind of a two segment uh signal box and this is a three segment signal box showing that the extension of the signal box to deal with the extra point levers uh, that we uh, cannot see within because it's the art of magic but yeah uh, also with an incredibly complicated um uh, tandem uh, bit of snc let's not talk about that that's frightening um marvelous love this so right we jump forward unless you had anything to, to add with the, the gorgeous signal boxes and some lovely p-way we jump forwards to this pink steam locomotive <laughs> yeah yeah a bright pink train so um basically similar process really when we're creating all our different assets so whether they're in the environment or the locomotives themselves we start out with a great bo- a block and we sculpt it and we create the model just as we do creating any other model um matt's a real big fan of pink if you catch any of our um trains in world live streams when he's uh with his pink uh pink ears and his headphones uh, you know, he's <laughs> a big fan of pink um so uh yes yeah, so whenever we're modeling something uh, there's always a request from matt i believe to make it pink mm. um which makes nice. some rather funny screenshots like like this one it's uh, yeah, it's very fetching. I, I like it. I like the pink. Uh, and to be honest, it's quite good because it picks out that you can can really see the shape quite nicely there. Um, right, okay. This this now we're talking. We're into geomatics. We're into topographical survey. Here we go. Tell yep, tell me. Uh, I've got some juicy acronyms for you. Which oh, I hopefully yes. you're gonna enjoy. Um, so uh, and, and again, Matt, I hopefully can uh, give some more detail if needed. But um, yeah, how do we model the environment? So uh, we actually did a little feature on this in one of our roadmap articles recently. Um, where we talked about LIDAR, and I think we'll come on to LIDAR yep. shortly, but um, previously we used uh, what I'm uh, reading here is our SRTM, Shuttle Radar Topography Mission, mm-hmm. DEM, Digital Elevation Model. So I'm guessing that's 
maybe and you, you might be able to correct me here gareth the kind of stuff that you might see on like google earth maybe yeah so like from space yeah space space stuff stuff done from space so the lidar you do from a helicopter or from drone um lidar is accurate to about 50 centimeters um so which is free for the your purposes pretty accurate to be honest um I, I, but then you don't need that level of accuracy for a lot of the you know for much of the ground the terrain you don't need that level of accuracy so so something like something that's done from your know, satellite uh uh topography is is good enough or the shuttle uh based topography is, is good enough yeah so uh, which i dare say is what we're looking at on camera uh, in screen now actually that looks to me like um like satellite based or, or space stuff from up in orbit folks um uh yeah which is which to be honest it's, it's about and again it's a bit like what matt was saying earlier it's not about getting every lump and bump correct it's about getting the skyline correct it's about getting the where the valleys are correct it's about getting the, the, the that that balance of accuracy right yeah exactly um so i think this uh, that shot is actually from uh the left rhine or linker rhine strecker route that we did where you know the the, yeah. the the valley that you're going along is a crucial part of that room as far as features concerned so yep. actually we have to try and model that in as accurate way as possible for, for the macro as you say the space stuff is kind of sufficient and it does its job um, but in more recent times in the last 12 months or so you know we've really tried to and nail down on some of the lidar stuff, so we can really get to the nitty gritty of that much, much more uh, accurate measurements, as you say. Um, I think um, uh, every meter, I think it, it is. Roughly so, yeah, like Matt's, yeah, Matt's coming to say this is one meter lidar. So there we go. So this is showing the, that that extra level of of detail. Uh, the basilisk there spotting that this is Linkerheinstrecke. Um, uh, yeah, I, I suppose one of the things that's interesting, and I, and I get is lidar gives the opportunity to potentially get some of the building modeling, not just the ground mesh but also some of the buildings and things or, or at least locations of buildings to, to help with some of that realism if you're if you're going for a contemporary um you know a modern uh, uh layout so that that's it's potentially an interesting option looking at photogrammetry uh which is you know basically what, what what fancy google earth does now in most towns and cities certainly in europe um that's that, that is that something you know matt i suppose it's a question for you as well but maybe joe too is that something that you're looking at for for you know is that is that a tool that the developers use uh not just for the ground not just for the, the you know the, the the kind of the natural topography but also for for the built environment um uh, i i know that it's something that we use to measure particularly for something like peak forest i know it was probably slightly easier because of the cycle route but um the track bed you know for a historic route um there's very few occasions where the track bed has completely disappeared from all existence there is still yeah. some kind of legacy particularly in the uk i, I know that from you know as i'm sure people in the channel from ordnance survey maps you'll see dismantled yeah. railway through a field or what have you um so and that's a man-made feature so i think you know they're not buildings necessarily but they are man-made features that we can discern from uh, those kinds of tools because there's still a scar left in the landscape yeah, where they used to be. Matt, Matt 100% agree with that. So yeah, being able to see track bed and road bed is a massive help for uh, for modelling. Not uh, Matt says, not not looking at buildings yet, but at some point, I'm sure, oh, there you go. That's interesting. And yeah, um, lots of interesting chat. Yeah, Christoph, um, uh, as as our space expert, saying SRTM is, is radar rather than LIDAR. Yes, yeah, LIDAR doesn't work through the atmosphere from high up radar. Uh, the distinction being that the topography can calculate to much finer spatial resolution than the observing wavelength. Yeah, very very nice um and here's uh here's a th this looks more spacey uh low resolution no vis vis visually lower resolution for this guy tell us what we're looking at anyway joe go on 
So that, I believe, is an entire route. Um, and I believe, and uh, Matt will correct me if I'm wrong here, that that is the Birmingham Cross City route. Um, so uh, I think if that's correct, you'd have a Bronze Grove at the southern extremity of that image yeah. um, and Litchfield uh, up at the uh, Trent Valley, up at the... Kind of, uh, the West Midlands, like you've never seen them before. Well, yeah, quite. And then somewhere halfway in there is probably Birmingham New Street. Um, yeah. So again, Matt will, I'm sure will correct me if that's, but I'm looking at the track map, I was looking where's at my, Where's my Wacom? That's what I need. Let me get my Wacom out and I'll show you exactly where New Street is. Uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where it is. Uh, that's, I believe that'll be where, yeah, in fact, that's, uh, yes. Yeah, because it's probably university is down, like universities, I think, down... And here, people can correct me if I've got this wrong, but I believe that's I believe that's New Street. Go on, everyone else, tell me, um, uh, tell me off. Anyway, there we go. P H M for the nerds, marvelous. Um, okay, so an- another shot. Of, uh, so tell us, tell us what we're looking at here. Again, this looks even like really high, re- you know, high quality. That lovely scarring, the lovely cliffs that we're seeing here, really nice. Yeah, and I think this is just to represent really that something as obvious a feature of this, and I, I, I will admit I don't know which route this is from, um, but this is, uh, you know, it's an obvious feature, again, that we've got to model, and when it's something as detailed as that kind of like strata through the rock, mm. you know, again, we can get that kind of detail from those tools, which is which is really cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and and here, okay, so what, so this looks like the difference between two different sources of information, or perhaps a a difference in resolution of of, of topo data tell, tell again yeah what 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 for are we exploring visually here so that's basically what it is it's just a comparison to show the tools that we were using previously compared to the tools that we're using now and basically the difference that it makes in terms of us getting that level of detail in, in each of the routes i see i see ah, interesting yeah okay um no and while we're pausing we have a nice shot of um we've we've hopped well, in fact let me have a close look we've hopped over to north america i believe here Am I wrong? Yeah, so we're, moving, we're moving on a bit now. So um, that was, I'm, I'm afraid to say, Gareth, that was the end of the, the LiDAR and uh, <gasps> No, I was enjoying myself so much. You could have given me an hour more of that. No, no, that, it, it's, it's right that we move on and look at some track that is fastened with uh, dog spikes, uh, which is making the hair stick up on the back of my neck and stressing me out. And I've got beads of sweat building on my forehead. But that's 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 my problem, not yours. So, yes, let's, let's press on. In this gorgeous sort of uh, twilight shot here with the lovely pink sky, very nice. Um, yeah, so this is, um, this is the Boston Providence route in america so yeah mm. we don't just do british routes we do content from from uh, a number of different countries america and germany predominantly um and what we've got, we've got to talk signaling at some stage yes, Danny, we do. The chat will be thrilled hopefully to hear that we're going to talk a little <laughs> yes. bit about uh, signaling um, that's got to be recreated as well and uh, there's a number of challenges that we have um in doing that um, it's it's a fun challenge for a, a number of people in the business because they, they're really into their signaling mm. um but they've got to source information from 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 other areas so um cab ride videos youtube perfect example of where we can um figure out basically where signaling is and how it interacts with the the train as it's passing through uh, track plans and i'm sure this comes back to the conversation you said about yeah. um, some of the material that we use like network rail and all that kind of thing where can we get that information from we have to get that information from somewhere so we can uh basically recreate it in in the game um and then we've got to kind of piece it all together we've got to make sure that the signaling is representative of real life but also you know if we're already doing a section of a route for example like the Birmingham cross city route it's only bronze road to litchfield it doesn't go any further or any further north or south than that we've got to make sure that the signaling um still interacts with the rest of the world that's not on that yeah route, yeah if you like and kind of continue its way uh giving greens to trains that go kind of off the map and all that kind of thing 
Mm. So there's a load of different considerations that we have to make as far as signaling, signaling is concerned. Um, and uh, we've chosen Boston Providence just because of um, a number of different uh, elements that we that we had to consider. I've got a note here from Matt. Um, I am reading some notes from Matt that <laughs> because I don't know all this stuff in great detail. But um, that the uh, the, the signaling system on the Northeast Corridor is similar to the DCC model railway system. Ooh. All the codes are sent over the rails. Ah, interesting. So, okay, yeah. there we are. Pulse codes is what I've got here written in quotes. Yeah. Um, uh, well, what, so, you get signal information put down onto the track using a technique called pulse codes. Oh, well, this Danny, Danny will know what's going on, and and Melanie will know what's going on. Our, our previous guests who talked about signaling, I, I I suddenly become I do my best to learn, but I I do become lost fairly quickly in the complexities of signaling. So what's interesting, what what's always I've found fascinating about train simulation with the, the is is essentially you have your developers have to do so much actual engineering because they have to build um a signal a viable signaling system with with that 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 works that is stress tested that functions uh, basically from the ground up which is you know signaling engineers have to do that and they're the bloody signals are all very well paid. I can tell you this; they're far better paid than I am. So um, that's always faster because obviously you can take shortcuts. It doesn't have to be completely safety. It doesn't have to be completely bombproof. Uh, you know all the all the additional fail safes that a vi- live railway system has, but it does have to work. Like it, it it can't break because then the simulation breaks and 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 your your people will become angry and they will shout at you and Matt. So there is again. I suppose the question is. How on earth do you, how on earth do you do that within the budget and time constraints of a of a simulation project? It's it's uh, yeah it's, it's it's very very challenging to do that you know and, and developing a viable signaling system. I suppose I suppose not doing the whole country all at once is helpful. So having isolated routes, I suppose, does add add some simplification. But you know to an extent, the signaling system tries to do that as well, and it's still as complicated as, you know, when you've got multiple tracks, you've got, particularly in a game, when you've got areas where you've got shunting because that you, you want a route to do various things so people can get the enjoyment out of it, that's that's complicated. I've just waffled for a bit, but I, I, I hope you get my excitement of, like, that, that's a complicated thing to do. Absolutely, and, and there's loads of different examples in our individual routes where it becomes even more complicated because of different conflicting signaling systems that are all happening with one another. So, I mean, um, I... I if people that have played trains in world, um, they may not have played with all the safe- safety systems turned on. You can turn on all the safety systems as you would in, you know, like they mentioned the class 158 at the very start. You can stick the AWS on and the vigilance and DSD yeah, yeah. and have that all interactable. And obviously things like AWS are based on the, um, you know, the, the plate things in the middle of the track that, are, that obviously interact with the signaling. If it's a yellow or a red, you'll get the warning come up and you have to acknowledge it and all that kind of thing. So it's not just um, it's not just a mechanic in game telling you when to stop and start like traffic lights on the road. Yeah, yeah, it's actually yeah. an integral part of the gameplay and the way that you interact with the train. Um, and that, it, it goes even more granular than that because on the southeastern high-speed route, we've got in-cab signaling with the class 395 yeah, yeah. HS1 um, train. So, again, that all has to be factored in. That's a completely different signaling system. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I always get confused playing that route because it comes up in kilometers per hour when you switch the <laughs> overhead to the or the third rail to the overhead and that kind of thing. Um, but, we, you know, we do routes... Um, in Europe as well, where the signaling system is very different. So the signaling is actually a really important part of the game. It's it's what makes part of the gameplay so authentic um, and challenging because, you know, again, you can play without the safety systems on and just merrily go along your way and avoid re- running a red. Um, but if you want to really go kind of hardcore and do things the way that 
they would in real life and you can kind of ramp everything up turn it all on and that makes certainly for me it makes the gameplay much more interesting much more challenging mm. but also uh, much more engaging which is which is great so i so i think to answer your question in terms of how we justify that from a development point of view well actually it's so important to the gameplay uh, yeah, yeah. you have to get it right yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ina, I can only apologise. Uh, I'm, I'm, Ina's saying, Gareth, why do you have to mix railways with historic mapping and game design? I can only nerd out so much as a railway historian in education. Ina, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, so we press on. Here is a nice image of... Um, actually, what's, what's, tell us what's happening in this image um, here. So we, we better talk about locomotives to a, to a degree because um, ultimately that's what you're driving in Trains and World. It's um, we, we spoke a little bit before the call, Gareth and I, about you know the other video games that include trains, and a lot of them are about route building or designing cities and towns and all that kind of thing. But Trains and World and Trains and Related Classic actually are about driving trains, right? That's the that's the whole idea. So the locomotives and the trains, the the multiple units, whatever it is that you're driving, has to be uh, recreated to a, to a, to a really high quality. Um, level um so this is a i believe a dbbr 143 not the best on german rolling stock um and if we flick to the next uh image this is Ooh, what's going on go. inside yeah so um i actually learned a lot about this in the last couple of days courtesy of matt and i was absolutely blown away by what this is and how this works this is um something called a simiograph um, and it's the tool that we use basically to recreate stuff that's going on inside the loco. And you might think it's um, very easy to assume that basically we just make it so that when you press a button, the, the speed increases and the noise goes up and you're very rudimentary, like push button equals this result. But actually what's going on inside the locomotive are individual components interacting with one another um, brakes cascading through a train as they would in real life, traction motors interacting with uh, diesel engines to generate a number of amps, and the amps get translated into what goes through the wheels, and that translates into how, what, how it goes through the... Just like the real thing. So we, we don't just simulate the result, we simulate the thing that's actually happening happening in the locomotive, which... Uh, that blew my mind. Well, this, this, is, this is what in the industry we call a digital twin. This is a, this is a digital twin, and, and, and it's interesting because we've we've... So, so what's on screen here exists for, for example, the, the Intercity Express fleet in the UK. So the Class 800, the 80Xs, all have a version of this for each train running. And so they can, from based on all the, the, the kind of um, uh, sort of sensor inputs, they, they actually, that, that fits into this. What's also interesting is the, in the development of the Class 91, here we are properly nerding out, they did a, it wasn't a digital twin because digital wasn't so much of a thing then, but they did build, a, 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 they basically built on the factory floor a Class 91, but kind of like this, with all the bits running, so they could get the stress testing of all the equipment and all the traction motors and everything. It's just that it wasn't in a complete train. It was all the bits and electronics out. So the idea of doing, again, we're taught that the parallels between, this is in this case not infrastructure engineering, but the parallels between um, modern train and, and, and locomotive um, manufacture, rail vehicle manufacture and simulation, the, the, the overlap as 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 the engineering gets more digitized it gets closer and closer to the the simula the, the reality that you create for simulation so it's it's really interesting to see these um to see this because an image like this precisely like this was put on the screen at last year's northeast rail engineers forum for the class 80x's showing what their digital twin looks like so it's really interesting to see to see these these parallels because again it's think it's testing things like the internal interlocking that like if that's pressed you can't do that or vice versa which i think you can see some of that logic actually on in the image on screen so it's yeah it's 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 really interesting to see this it, i'm really glad you sent this detail through um thanks dovetail it's really cool 
Yeah, and so um, there is one of our roadmap articles from a couple of years ago. Matt may well be able to find the URL. Uh, if not, we can maybe provide it somewhere afterwards. But you can actually um, have a look at this in full resolution and zoom in and see all the different bits and bobs that are that are happening. Um, so you can really get into some of the detail. If we move forward, there's another mm. example. Um, again, sort of just flicking. Oh, there we are. I love it for a moment. Britain's the best Arbaloo locomotive. 47. People shout at me when I tell them that. Um, <laughs> it's 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 the class forty seven. Um, and again, it's the same thing, right? You've got this digital twin, uh, as as I'm calling it. Um, uh, here it is. Yeah, so um, I've actually got uh, some notes here that just tell you what some of the bits are. So on the, Ooh, okay. I, I'm told on the left-hand side, in the colored boxes, you're looking at the brake system with support for both air and vacuum brake systems, yeah. linked over by the distributor, air, air ultimately, brake, to the brake linkages brake, in the axles themselves. Distributor. So yeah, you've got uh, brake pipe in red there, vacuum pipe in pink. Uh, exhauster. Uh, exa I'm, I'm, re I'm reading as best I can from what I can see. Uh, main reservoir system, uh, main reservoir pipe, and then all of these things all feeding in here into the distributor, which is then feeding into whatever these are, and then splitting out into various systems here, uh, and then out into the, the output here, which I suppose could be wheels. I, I, I mean, you could, <laughs> or actually, possibly these are wheels. I'm not sure. But you can see, sorry, anyway, continue your Odyssey, Joe. But yeah, you can see, I was just annotating from what I can read on screen, which people watching might not be able to read. But um, yeah, you can sort of see the, the tracing there. I'm going to get rid of all my John Maddening there. It's gone. No, that's good. It's good that you're following it through. So um, on the right-hand side, that's uh, I've got here the fuel tank, diesel engine generator, and traction motors themselves, ultimately connected to the axles. And th and this is where this is where I started to learn some stuff in the last couple of days. Really, is uh, just a humble brand manager that doesn't have anything to do with development. It was the idea that um, once you've got all this set up. Uh, particularly where there's locomotives that are some way related to one another or of a similar kind of standard design or what have, have you, you can kind of edit all these things individually to cater for the unique features of the different locomotives. So um, uh, Matt's kind of provided me here with an example, the Class 31, um, which is a, a loco add-on you can get, I think, for one of our routes and you can drive on the West Somerset Railway, I think, um, has a wheel arrangement, A1A, A1A, where mm. the centre axles are unpowered. So in that example, you just find the bit, the, the, the part of the simiograph in a kind of system that links the power to the axles and just kind of delete the bit that goes to the middle, <laughs> the middle axle because they're not needed and, and because it's uh, simulated to the degree that it is you know where it's really quite detailed and links to those components individually you can afford to do that and get a really realistic result mm. uh, as a result of doing those things yeah it's it's yeah it's it's, it's very interesting to see under the hood as it were um right we're we're we are reaching pretty well in time. I'm reasonably well in time, actually. So we have um, we, we've got some images on screen here, so some little tease images. Tell us, tell us what we're looking at. Yeah, not so much tease. It's really just a representative of the different kinds of content you can get for trains in world. So we've talked a lot about the British stuff. We've talked a lot about the um, uh, historic stuff. So uh, Peak Forest and like we showed at the Blue there. Um, you know, we do do routes that are representative of certain years, but we actually do a lot of modern image stuff as well and actually we find that they're some of our most popular routes um so not just in the uk but also in, in germany in america you can see the amtrak sailor there bottom right and in fact there's a giant amtrak train behind me the acs 64 yeah people is, people um, people were querying the amtrak train but uh yeah in fact if i go if i very briefly go yeah everyone you can see the amtrak train there looking looking very nice in the background very shiny love the job yeah we actually had um when uh, train symbol 2 came out we actually had number 662 i think it was of this locomotive um painted with the logo on the side of it. I don't know whether it's still running. I know you can buy a model. That's cool. Which is quite cool. 
yeah. So um, yeah, so basically just to represent that we have lots of different content, lots of different regions, lots of different eras. Um, and I think we maybe highlight a couple of my favorites in a, <laughs> in a couple of slides. Oh, here we go. Uh, okay, right. Oh, so this is, this is Spirit's theme. So I'm showing this really because um, it's also another period route like Peak Forest. It was set in 1958, runs between Liverpool and Crewe. A lot of the techniques and, and, and modeling and considerations for the era and the buildings and the signal box modulation, all that kind of stuff is just as relevant for this route as it was for Peak Forest. And in fact, we actually did a lot of work in this that was then relevant to Peak Forest because it was of the same kind of era and time yeah, and, yeah. and the um, LMS content as well. Um, so if you, you know, if, if, if the Peaks Forest stuff interested you, it wasn't a route in isolation. We did do another route that used a lot of those processes and, and techniques um, before that. And it was very popular. It was, it was our first um, steam locomotive route for Creating World. Ah, okay. I, I want to just say how beautiful the track looks here. Yes, the the the, the rolling stock is obviously glorious, but the um the 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 shined running band on the rails catching the light and catching the light in the way that it is, it, it's a testament to the the modelling. It's a testament to the um to 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 the engine. You know, the game engine. It it looks very good. <laughs> it just looks very good. It's a very authentic visually authentic looking shot you know the lighting is fantastic but but getting the infrastructure right because ultimately when you're sat in the cab that having done cab rides the 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 running the two rails going off particularly in crap weather those two shiny lines disappearing off in front of you often you know two or four of them ahead of you is quite a distinctive thing that's quite an important thing about getting the feel right and and, um and yeah it it, you know it, it looks really good um so the next image is about Train Sim World compatible. Talk, talk to me about what this is, is telling us. What's going on? Yeah, so when we bought out Train Sim World 3, that was obviously that's the latest version of Train Sim World that you can buy. But um, there was previous versions of Train Sim World, Train Sim World 2, and the original Train Sim World as well. And one of the things that we've always tried to make sure we do is make sure that people's existing back catalogue of content can be compatible with um, the current version of the game. So um, all of our historic Train Sim World routes that we've released for previous versions are are compatible with Train Sim World 3, and it just means that you can carry on playing the routes that you that you love. It means I can play the West Somerset Railway route in Train Sim World 3, even though it came out from a previous version of Train Sim World. Um, and it's just a really important thing to remind people because some sometimes when we when we, re, we we release a new version of a game, people think we've forgotten the previous version, and it's not the case because the content is very very much still playable in the current version, and it's it's just always worth um, reminding people. And it adds to that back catalogue. It just adds to that diversity of mm. content that we've got, which is which is good. Um, yeah. Yeah, lovely job. So, um, before I, uh, so that I don't forget myself, I'm going to remind myself exactly what the next, okay, yeah, so we have, okay, fine, fine, good. Just reminding myself what's left in the deck. Here is a uh, a rather fetching, blunt-nosed peak. Um, now, I can tell you what's going on here because that, uh, that stone aqueduct bridge thing with the railway having water going over it and then it goes over a canal, and uh, this is the the, the um, eastern end of Stanage Tunnel. Uh, tunnels, actually, plural. Um, what's what's happening in this image, other than it looking quite distinctively accurate? So I can tell you exactly where it is, which is always very pleasing. I mean, that in itself is good. Again, again, testament that we're, what we're doing is is good that you can recognise it. Um, really, just again, uh, trying to cater to different audiences. So there's going to be a number of people out there that are looking for BR Blue content for of a, of a certain kind of. Um, Dirty is the wrong word, but kind of run down uh, of, of its of its era. Um, and again, that's something that we try and recreate. It's not just the locomotives and the locations. We really try and get the feeling of that kind of what it was like to be on trains and run trains and work with trains at, at that particular time. And I think we did that really well with the Northern Trans Pennine route. 
um, which again is one of our compatible routes from a previous version of the game, but you can still you can still get it for Train Sim Mod 3. Um, and actually what's really great about this route is it interacts with a lot of other content. So locomotives from other routes will 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 be playable on this route and kind of adds adds to the timetable, adds to the experience. It means that there's lots of different interaction between different trains and locomotives, different kinds of services, shunting, freight, passenger, all that kind of thing. Mm. So if you're a fan of BR Blue, we've got something for you. Oh, that rhymes. Oh, we should use that as a tagline. Yeah, there you I'll go. That's, that's... I'll write that down as brand manager, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. And then uh, this is a really a personal thing for me. The West Somerset Railway is also one of our legacy routes in trains in world. Um, and I just, for me personally, it's just so great that a railway that I know so well, having worked on it, uh, is is in the game, and I can go home and relive my days working on a heritage railway. And but what's also really great about the West Somerset Railway route is um, you can run pretty much any train on it, and it kind of makes sense as long as it's yes. not electric. Yeah, because so, I always um, said not because the, the West Somerset has always had nonsense running up and down. It's there's <laughs> always some. Oh, they've, had, they've had HSTs with with like one coach between them. They've had you know like like you know power cars with they're like one or two coaches between. Them. There's all sorts of rubbish used to run up and down the West Somerset. So you can authentically run anything on there, as you say, as long as it's not relying on the on electric traction. Um, yeah, it's great. I love this shot. So this is this is mine head, right? Um, that's this, my head. That's right. This is, yeah. this is, so um, I've stood on that platform and I've looked out towards um, uh, towards the castle, which is kind of round the corner a bit, and you know, watch it and, and, and onwards. And it, it's it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty iconic bit of it's it's a pretty recognisable bit. You know, this is the this is the north the uh, kind of the North Somerset coast. Uh, this is a very distinctive landscape, and again, it's just nice to. This is what's fun about simulators is is that familiarity. You get that nice feeling of like, oh, I'm familiar with this because. I spend a lot of time in Linton Linworth, which is like a few tens of miles behind us from where we're stood, where the where the, where the camera is stood, um, and it looks like this. You know, it's it's even uh, the train is even more um, hilly and even more stubby straight into the sea. But it, this is what it looks like. It's very nice to see. Um, yeah, it's lovely. It's um, what, something I really enjoyed doing recently. I, we we do our um, live streams for Trains and World, and I was asked if I would guest on a, a stream where one of uh, our community managers, Alex, actually drove the route, and I comment almost commentated on it. You know, like a bit <laughs> of a, like a tour guide in a way. Yeah, yeah. And again, like all the things we talked about, the environment and the the topography and the buildings and the scenery. Um, like for me, if it's someone that's going to pick out faults on the West Somerset Railway route, it's going yeah, to be me, yeah. and I can't pick out any because it's so good. Um, and it's just great to have that familiarity. And, and and you're right, that's absolutely part of the simulation genre. We're in that game. We're in that in that realm in that genre because we need to make things accurate and and for, and for people to recognise all the stuff that's in it. And I, I just think we do a really good job. And I, I'd I'd be interested because I played Trains of World before I joined Dovetail Games just to play the West Somerset Railway. Mm. Um, and so for me, it's just a, a reminder, really, of just how good a job we do. And I'm sure there are people in the chat and people watching this that have routes that are close to them, um, hopefully ones that we have recreated in-game, whether it be in the UK or, or somewhere else. And I'd really encourage them to just go and have a go or, or just watch a live stream and see how the see how the accuracy kind of plays and, and what they recognise, because it it, it it does something. It makes you kind of reminisce, in a way, about your home or where you live or where you work. I, I, think, just, I just think that's great. Yeah, yeah. I'm just waiting for someone to do the Aberdeen Inverness route, because that's that's the, uh, of any route that I used to do a lot as a kid, that that's that was my home railway. So I, if anyone out there, I, I don't think it's out there in DLC, but if anyone, it, because it, it never ran anything particularly interesting, but if anyone out there wants to nerd out and create the rather niche bit of uh, mixed railway between uh, Aberdeen and Inverness, then be my guest and then I can nerd out about the line between Inverness and, and, and Huntley um, anyway anyway, I digress um, that's right we'll, we land upon the final slide in the deck um, tell us about Dovetail Direct 
So uh, we figured that maybe the most asked question, particularly people that aren't familiar with uh, our stuff, might be, when are you doing this or what's coming out next or what can you tell us about the future and all this kind of stuff. And the answer to all of that is we can't because we like to keep it top secret. But we do have news announcements and we do talk about trains in world and, and, and kind of what's, um, what's, what's, what's coming, basically, or what we're, what we're working on and that kind of thing. So we've got some news uh, around trains in world. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but if you want to tune in on August the 22nd at one o'clock, you can find out. And that's our event, Dovetail Direct. Uh, August twenty second. Uh, tune in, everyone. That's that's an exciting one. Um, before, uh, in fact, I will do the outro plugs and then we'll come back for a couple of questions. So uh, get your questions in now, uh, John Christoph. Chuck that question back in the chat. That that, I, that uh, and, and at my name, if you at my name, it goes in red and it's really easy for me to see the questions. So do that, and then we'll ask we'll ask Joe uh, and possibly Matt can pick up any questions that, that Joe and I can't tackle either. Uh, before we do that, though, I must um, first of all. Um, uh, Joe is say uh, thanks um, but we will we will do a proper we'll do a proper thank you momentarily this is basically me padding so that I can do a bit of a, a deck change uh, to do this which is thanks to everyone who's listened to this in audio only format uh, obviously this is uh, you can listen to this in on all good podcasting platforms it goes out fairly shortly after within the, within the week following the recording um the usual plugs, patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis to support more of this sort of thing happening. Uh, PayPal.me slash Gareth Dennis for loose change and abuse. GarethDennis.co.uk slash Discord. Um, by the way, people often say, why do you have the PayPal thing? It's because some people don't want to do a subscription thing, but they do want to say, thanks, I enjoyed that episode. So that's what the PayPal's for. Um, GarethDennis.co.uk slash merch for merchandise. Weird, I have merchandise. I don't know why, but lots of you buy it. Um, Wings and Strings is here. Hello, that's very exciting in the chat. Hello, Wings and Strings. Um, Gareth Dennis to UK slash Discord uh, for the Discord chat, where there's lots of people who are in the chat currently will continue to be in the chat saying hello. Um, uh, so there are a few questions coming in, which is very exciting, but I'm going to wait for a second. Firstly, so um, there are a few pre-records coming up, folks, and to encourage you to watch the pre-records, um, there are some Steam keys for uh, Train Sim Classic and some DLC. So uh, there will be a competition for you to win those. Uh, so pay attention to the next few episodes, particularly the series of episodes of which next week's is the first, which is episode 179, then 181, then 180 three that's that's i think that's right which are a three-parter of me traveling down the belgrade bar railway the third one i need to finish editing actually put up but uh, part one belgrade to ujitsa um anyway uh, watch those because within those will be things that you will be questioned upon um in order to uh in order to win some steam keys uh, thanks to the cool person who watches rail natter who gave me those steam keys to do this competition about 12 hours ago um that's a fun way to convince you all to watch some pre-records <laughs> anyway oh with all that chat, let's return to Joe, who's patiently been waiting. So we've had a few questions. I'm going to ask the first question that popped up, which is from Wings and Strings. Um, hey, Gareth, quick question. A lot of folks can be picky about the regions modelled, but what would uh, what would I consider to what would uh, what would we consider to be core elements of train sim games that can unite both the US and UK slash European markets? Ooh, it's a question for all three of us, I guess. What what unites them? I, I hmm. I, I suppose getting it, getting things like signalling right. So I suppose you know, whilst you might have different signalling systems that, that function in different ways, my my perception is that you know, okay, the the the, tr the locomotive, getting the locomotive right is, is pretty universal. But I suppose you, that that's quite straightforward. To you know, you pick the locomotive from the region and, and you get that locomotive right. Whereas getting signalling systems right is, is is pretty universal. You have to get that. You have to get the logic of that signalling system working right. But I don't know, Joe. What do you think? That's a very tricky. That's a good and fiddly question. That what what works across regions to make sure that they the what what are the core elements that work across regions to unite those markets? Joe, I, I, yeah. as, as a brand manager, Joe, you, you might actually have quite a lot of thoughts on that. 
I do, yeah. So I can't answer for the UK, US in particular, but I know, for example, so we don't have any Asian content in our game. And there's a number of reasons for that, which we've detailed in, in other places. We won't talk about that now. But what we do know is that high-speed routes are very popular in mm -hmm. Asian, re Asian regions. We have a lot of Asian players that play our game. Um, and so Southeastern High Speed, Class 395, uh, LGV, Mediterranean, the French route that we did uh, with um, the TGV duplex, I think is the locomotive in that. R routes like that sell really well, and, mm. and people, players really love playing them in Asian regions, probably because um, high-speed rail is the kind of thing that they're into, I guess. Um, so that's an example where I suppose the appeal of the high-speed kind of transcends the region. It's it's UK and it's French, but because it's relevant to maybe a Japanese player, um, actually that, that they enjoy playing that. So that's mm. that's that's really the that's probably one of the clearest examples that I'm aware of from, from having worked at Dovetail where we know that something appeals from one to the other and kind of crosses that boundary. But I'm not entirely sure about UK US. I suppose kind of going further from that, you know, some US locomotives like this one, this is a Siemens locomotive, I think. So again, if it's got relevance, maybe if we haven't modeled a certain locomotive in a certain region, but this is the closest thing you can get to it, maybe this route, the uh, this would be New York Trenton route, I think this is from, um, might appeal to someone in a different part of Europe, maybe because it vaguely resembles the Siemens locomotive in their region. I don't know. I don't know that specifically. But yeah, so that kind of thing, I guess, is one way in which content from one place is relevant to to hmm. to, to an audience in another place. So uh, Master Trams asks, um, have you ever done fictional routes? Because you've done an awful lot of real life routes, which look amazing. Um, I think I know the answer to that, which is yes. But Joe, go on. Yeah, we have. So uh, we did it. Uh, we've done a couple in Train Simulator Classic, um, but we've done one in Train Sim World that we released for Christmas last year, the Holiday Express. So that used a real, real locomotive. It was the F7, the F unit. If you're an American fan, you'll know what that is. Um, big kind of like bullnose thing. Uh, um, the one in Clinchfield Railway kind of looks a bit like a rhinoceros, I think, kind of like the, the circle on the front of it. Anyway, um, so yeah, we did Holiday Express where you wish your train around a living room. So all the stuff we just talked about accuracy and scenery just thrown in the bin because all we had to do was recreate uh, someone's living room basically giant chairs and sofas yeah. and a fireplace and that kind of thing so yes we've done a fictional route in trains and world holiday express you wish yourself around a living room in an s7 um so uh the basilisk asks does dovetail think that the, the the problems in the uk railway have impacted sales in the uk um i suppose that's kind of saying okay the railways in the uk are in a bit of a mess at the moment has has has, has that caused any have you seen any problems or, or lack of it? I, I, my guess is it might cause the opposite, is people want, want escapism from the mess that the current system is in. Or they're strikes and they literally can't get a train, so they, they, they're they escapers to hop into train sim, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. Have you seen any particular, you know, has there been any, have you seen any connection between the state of the current UK rail network and uh, an, an interest in the game? No, that, that looks like a no, everyone, which is good. It is, uh, it is, it is a no, really. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't think of anything. I mean, if, if anything, as you say, it probably does the opposite. And when the rail's in the news, uh, like anything, really, whether it's music or films or whatever, when something that you when something that's related to the business you're in is in the news, that's usually good. Only good. Be a good yeah, thing. yeah. Uh, Christoph, uh, uh, John Christoph, uh, Christoph et al. Because uh, they just posted, they, they just finished and, and submitted their their PhD. I believe that John Christoph is that right? Shout at me if you're not. Uh, from earlier, uh, what are the challenge? All right, this is an interesting one, and it's it's one uh, that that both of you have thoughts on, um, both from a marketing perspective, a, a brand management perspective, and from a technical perspective. Uh, what are the challenges of combining a train simulator? Um, so operations in discrete scenarios with uh, a kind of a tycoon type 
uh, game uh, because uh, you know network management uh, because as, as far as John Christoph is is aware no game has actually combined both so you get you know you get rail tycoons you get the transport fevers you get that sort of thing you get the train sim you know the really high super detailed train simulators but no game seems to do both of those things so any any thoughts on why that might be or any particular challenges that present prevent it someone else in the chat earlier suggested that it's the different time progression so in a, in a train in a, in a scenario simulator like your products it's real time right whereas in a tycoon if it's real time you don't get much you know not, not much changes and not much not much gets done but there might be some thoughts joe you might have thoughts from a marketing perspective on whether are they different markets you know we talked a bit about this before that you and i both also you know you've got uh you you, you have an interest in, in 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 town planning i have an interest in anything to do with strategy and strategic view of transport and so that that lends itself actually to the tycoon side of things um but it's a different would you say it's a different market or um I think there's a different a number of different things there. So one is they're very, yeah, they're two very different styles of gameplay. Different audiences will play those games. And I think by implementing elements of one into another, you're potentially detracting, I think, from someone who's really into that top-down tycoon style game, Mine. knowing that there's a compliment complicated element that they're all of a sudden they've got to learn how to drive it. Um, might not might not be appealing to them and equally if you know, we implemented something tycoony into our strict uh, and, and highly detailed simulation game that might put people off pe the people yep. that at our core that really want to play the simulation game. And I, I was thinking because we spoke a little bit before we came on air about SimCity, mm. um, and I know there was a version of SimCity 4 where you could drive a car, um, and I never did that. I, I, I liked playing the game as it was, and I liked building the cities and doing all the town planning and ma managing the finances. The idea of driving a car around my own city just didn't interest me whatsoever. Um, so that's, I suppose, a kind of watered-down example of where a game has tried to do that. And I personally, I just don't think it works. And I think we do what we do really well, and the Sim Cities and the and the Railway Tycoons do what they do really well. And I think probably the mixing the two is probably not something that would work in, in my view from a marketing point of view uh, yeah, yeah there's, there's quite a lot of interesting thoughts and, and yeah matt's matt's dropped a few thoughts in as well you know uh, the fact that a driver wants to be driving real trains in real routes but as a tycoon game you're, you're kind of making it up and want to get away with uh, as, as as matt puts it nonsense for a few more bucks of income hey that's not what we do in our tycoons matt um <laughs> it's actually some really interesting discussion going on in the chat uh, as ever uh, mike waldridge asks uh joseph matt thanks uh for this evening really interesting quick uh question um have anyone considered exhibiting at the National Railway Museum? Um, uh, yeah, Joe, have you considered exhibiting at the National Railway Museum or doing anything? Have you done any collaborations with the museum, actually? Anything? With yeah, the... so um, we were at King's Cross last year for the the event that sparked, that kicked off the centenary of Flying Scotsman because we ah, okay, did a yeah. scenario, Flying Scotsman scenario pack in Train Simulator Classic. Um, so we worked with the National Railway Museum on that event. We were at King's Cross for two days, had a great time. Um, we interviewed a few people from the NRM, got them playing Train Simulator Classic. Um, that was that was really good fun. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, something like that we would always consider. We've done Warley as well, National Model Railway Exhibition. Yeah. Um, in the past, um, we've attended that a few times, and that's always really popular. People love to, to come and see us there. Um, so yeah, we've worked with the, we've worked with the NRM on train train simulator classic, um, and we do exhibit in railway situations outside of video games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a few uh, conscious of time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up. There's a few points that jumped out, which is Matt points out that fictional routes are hard. I bet they are because you have nothing to base it on. It's just quite. The advantage of a real world route, even a historic one, is that there is a it existed. You've got lots of reference, and 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 suddenly you've got to do a load of 
you can kind of yeah i can imagine that that becomes complicated having having kind of unless you're building up from you know looking at basically to make fictional stuff look real you've got to basically think about the history of it and that becomes really complicated and can be quite quite time consuming absolutely um uh, also apparently that took ages to do the living room uh, says matt um <laughs> so he's, he's defending the living room uh, time progression applies too in relation to john christoph's question uh let's see what else have we got uh, da, 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 da. um there da, 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 there we are so some people saying what we need to have is a is a is a container simulator. Well, maybe maybe the box in in simulation. You see the box behind me actually over there. We need a simulation game for the box. Um, right. Okay. Uh, I'm. I think that's the wrap up of the questions. Joe, thank you so much for your time. That's been an, an absolute pleasure. Everyone in the chat, uh, including Matt, uh, is, I hope uh, get well soon. Everyone at Rail Natter Towers and in the chat, I'm sure wishes you well. Um, Joe, thanks so much for holding fort and doing a fantastic job of it. That's been absolutely brilliant. I've. Um, I've I've learned a lot. I've got very excitable in jumping around about the overlap between. And to be honest, that overlap's only going to grow as 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 my discipline and my engineering kind of infrastructure engineering gets more digitized. It's only more interesting to see how much simulation and and, and the real world overlap. Um, and also pester infrastructure engineers because the chances are nowadays we've got loads of modeled stuff that you could probably get office reasonably easily to to make your lives easier and and and, and in fairness possibly vice versa actually it's like hmm, some of the little detail you've got there would be quite good for me to steal and use in some of my drawings anyway i digress um joe and matt uh, and dovetail games thank you thank you so much everyone in the chat thank you to you uh, it only remains for me and joe to vigorously wave you off everyone Cheerio! Cheerio!